Great to see you, and glad we can open the Scriptures together. If you would turn with me to Mark 1, and uh, if there's any parents with kids up through fifth grade, if you'd like them to go to some age-specific teaching that's offered now called Gospel Project, you can just head out towards the back, and there'll be somebody out there ready and able to help you. Um, as you're turning to Mark uh, chapter 1, would like to mention that, uh, as Brandon said, there'll be a members meeting next Sunday night, so mark that on your calendar. And we have uh, these people, in addition to one more, who we've already let you know about, these folks are uh, desirous to join Church on Mill. Some of them are here in the room. I see Jordan. Anybody else on whose picture's up there? There we go. Awesome. So, Two are in this gathering. Great. Uh, Welcome. Uh, So between now and then, I encourage you, if you haven't met these people, uh, to look for them, ask them uh, about how they came to know Christ, and then next Sunday night we'll have opportunity to welcome them formally uh, into our our church. We are this morning continuing uh, what we started last week. We began a uh, year-long series of sermons entitled A Year with Mark. As a church, we've committed ourselves uh, this year to getting to know Jesus better through the study of this uh, first century account of Jesus's life, ministry, death, and resurrection. As we talked about last week, from the first 15 verses, the gospel of Mark begins by telling us that the good news of God's uh, rescue of our ultimate deliverance was foretold by the Old Testament. That's the first two-thirds of the Bible. And it was um, anticipated by John the Baptist. And then it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As we think about the other gospels, the other gospel accounts, there are uh, three others in your Bible, Matthew, Luke, and John. And all of them begin differently than Mark does. Matthew and Luke uh, tell us uh, about the, the, what led up to the birth of Christ, and then they include uh, descriptions of the very, very first days of Jesus as a baby. John goes back even earlier. John tells us about Jesus' pre-existence before time began, but Mark doesn't do any of that. Mark simply begins the scene with Jesus as an adult and he's entering the waters of John's baptism, going into the, the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted. And then, as verse 15 says, we looked at last week, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That is the essential message that Jesus came proclaiming. That single sentence encapsulates the most glorious news anyone anywhere could ever hear. It's the message that God in Christ is bringing about His good rule and reign, His peace-filled presence, and it's available to all who repent and believe. Jesus says right from the beginning, all of this is at hand in me. That is every holy longing, every expectation of the Old Testament and of the human heart is available in Christ. The appropriate response, well, it's right there in verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, with all that ringing in our ears, we come to our passage for today, 
It's only a few verses. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20 of Mark chapter 1. James uh, Stover is going to come read for us. And as he does, would you check out these boots? (laughs) He's got some amazing boots. Thanks, Chuck. Would you read for us? Yep. Mark 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Amen. Thanks, brother. Be praying for James. Uh, James is headed uh, on Friday to Scotland, where he'll be serving with 20 Schemes, one of our mission partners for the semester, and uh, interning there. So what's the, remind me of the name of the church you're going to serve? Bingham. Bingham Church. Bingham Hope Church. So it's in one of the schemes in Scotland, and uh, we're encouraged by your willingness to go, brother. We'll be praying for you. Thank you for it. Let's explore uh, these verses that James read this morning uh, along three lines of inquiry. Uh, Let's first consider what Jesus did. It's pretty simple, but there's more to it than might seem. So what Jesus did. Second, let's talk about why. Why did Jesus go about this in this way as the very first thing He did in His public ministry? And then finally, we'll consider the weight or the significance of these verses. Uh, My prayer is that God would use this to uh, stir all of our hearts so that wherever we are presently in relationship to Jesus, that we would grow and make progress and become more and more useful as fishers of people. So first, what? What what Jesus uh, did? Well, in light of Jesus' declaration in verse 15, that in Him everything is fulfilled and is inbreaking and is moving ahead. Doesn't the scene shift to the shores of the Sea of Galilee and the summons of a few people to follow him seem rather anticlimactic? It's not what we would expect would happen. It even, I think, feels out of place and rather bizarre. I mean, this is the turning point in human history. And it's followed by Jesus' very first act of recruiting a couple of nobodies to follow Him. Uh, This is the complete opposite of everything we would expect. And it provides some great insight for us into how things work in the kingdom of God. When the bright rays of the kingdom pierced the darkness of the world, God chose Galilee, not Rome. He chose fishermen, not kings and queens. He chose words of hope, not weapons of war. He chose repentance, not revolution. God works through atypical means, and He's never in a rush. His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. The kingdom of God grows most often through the simple call of one to another, follow Jesus. 
I love the way one scholar puts it. It'll be on the screen. He writes, the kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, but through the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of provincial Galilee. The story is so familiar to us that we might miss the great irony of how things started. There, are, there were no spotlights, no pomp. Jesus wasn't trending on Twitter, and his videos didn't go viral. There's simply the still, quiet, subversive call of Jesus to a few fishermen. Follow me. That's the way the kingdom of God spread. And it's still the way the kingdom of God spreads. Consider with me, though, exactly what Jesus did. As we look at these verses, it, it isn't complicated. Uh, frankly, you don't need any Hebrew or Greek. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to read big theological books. It's rather plain and simple. Jesus was walking along the shores of a lake called the Sea of Galilee, and he called out to first two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and said, follow me. Simon and Andrew dropped everything for Jesus. Jesus went a little further. He saw another set of brothers. He said, follow me, and they did. Jesus summoned Simon, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples, and he promised them that if they followed him, they would become fishers of men, meaning that they'd become people who would be used by God to spread the gospel to others. God bless you. That was a big one. More and more and more people would be rescued out of sin and into a relationship with Jesus through the witness of these four. You might say, instead of catching fish in a net, they would be catching people in God's grace. Now, notice that the passage includes the word become. They would become this. They weren't yet that. They weren't yet even ready or able to be that. But Jesus told them that he would be able to make them become that. Some spiritual things needed to happen in them first. And we'll see over the course of the year together what a mess these uh, uh, disciples and many others often made, especially the first one on the list. But for now, they were to simply begin by following Jesus. The point, beloved, is that Jesus doesn't call people to follow Him who already have it all together, who are already equipped and able to be useful to Him. No, Jesus calls people as they are, as you are, as I am, namely a hot mess. And then we, over time, become fishers of men. He calls people, and then He develops them into what He would have them to be. Through this year, as we work our way through Mark, we're going to see Jesus calling many, many, many people to follow Him. And over time, we'll see rather clearly that Jesus' earthly ministry involved different, different spheres of relationships, and they weren't all exactly the same. For example, 
It'll become clear in Mark that Jesus' closest friends, his tightest relationships, the people he poured into the most were Peter, James, and John, three of the four listed in this passage. They, they're going to see Jesus in moments unique and that no one else was present for. But those three are part, or, part of a, a larger subset of 12, and those 12 will be people that Jesus designates as apostles. Through those 12, the whole New Testament witness will be heard and recorded. The church will be birthed and spread around the world. And while we can't connect exactly person to person to person, it's true that today we exist sitting here in light of Jesus calling those four and then those 12 to be his followers. The New Testament church will see spread all over the ancient world because Jesus calls people to follow him. So there's this three, and then there's 12, and then there's a broader group of 70. These were people that in Mark's account are simply called disciples. These were people who followed Jesus around and were sent out by him to represent him and do his work. And then there's the masses. That's everybody Jesus declared the good news to and invited to be his disciples, be part of his kingdom. My point here, church, is that it's clear from the book of Mark that there's a general call that is to go out to all people everywhere to follow Jesus. It's to be shared indiscriminately with anyone who will listen. And all who respond with faith and repentance are his followers. They're what we today would call Christians, people who are walking with Christ, not physically, of course, but people who spiritually are caught up in and part of the kingdom of God. That's what we might call the general gospel call, the call to discipleship. But then there's also, we see in Mark, there's a call to various kinds of leadership within the Christian community. That's the call extended by God to some, but not to all. So the question becomes, which call is this in Mark chapter 1? In other words, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, are we reading here about their call to be uh, apostles, to be leaders, or are we reading here about their call to be disciples? Well, that's going to have, our answer to that's going to have a lot of significance for us. And I would submit to you that it's clear if you just sit down and read Mark all the way through, particularly in one sitting, it'd take you about 90 minutes probably, that this is not the call of those four to become apostles, but rather the general call to be followers of Jesus. Now, make a mental note of that because we'll come back to it later because it's significant for you and for me. If you look closely at these verses, though, you'll see that Mark is careful to tell us what the brothers gave up in order to follow Jesus. It doesn't seem to be an ancillary or unnecessary detail. If you look in verse 18, it says that Simon and Andrew left their nets. 
And then in verse 20, it says that James and John left their father, Zebedee. What they left were the things that they held most dear, the things that today people continue to hold most dear. That is, they walked away from their livelihoods as fishermen, and they walked away from their family. Church following Jesus is all-consuming. Jesus isn't to be a garnish on the side of life. No, He's the, the appetizer, the main course, the sides, the drink, the dessert, the plate itself. Following Jesus is all of that. The invitation to be part of the kingdom of God through the grace of Jesus Christ is an invitation to surrender everything to Him. It is the command to give Him total allegiance. You see, as the King of the kingdom of God, He deserves and demands surrender. He calls for us to yield work and wealth, money and marriage, friendship and future, time and talents. To follow Jesus, it's to submit and to to subordinate everything to Him. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who follows Jesus will give up their careers and won't have jobs. And it doesn't mean that everyone who follows Jesus will no longer have any relationship with their families. That's not even true as the story goes on in Mark about these four. But it does mean that you cannot simultaneously follow Jesus while putting anything and anyone else on equal plane. No, everything and everyone else must be under Christ, for He's Lord. Following Jesus costs everything. But following Jesus yields far more. Amen? What you gain is incomparable to what you give. What you profit is far more than what you invest. It's not an equal trade. We we submit what we are and have to Christ, and what we get back is incomparable. Think about that just from the standpoint of these four people mentioned in this story. Very, very likely, the full scope of their lives looked something like this. They fished, they sold fish, they ate fish, they slept and smelled like fish, and on uh, Saturdays, they went to synagogue, and maybe one, two times a year, they traveled down to Jerusalem. That's it. That is the full scope of life that Simon Andrew, James, and John would have had. And yet, Jesus said, follow me. And as they surrendered everything, just think of what they gained. I mean, to say nothing of eternity, but just in their present lives, think of what they gained 
They gain the opportunity to walk with Christ and to be equipped by Him to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. Their horizons were lifted up. You see, following Jesus is all-consuming, but following Jesus is also life-giving. You gain life by following Christ. And not only do you gain life, but you gain the opportunity to invite others to gain life by following Christ. What did Jesus do? Well, that's what He did. It's uh, simple. He invited the four to follow Him. And they committed themselves to accompany Him, leaving their old ways of life, yielding full significance to Him. I think that begs the question, why? Why did Jesus start like this? And why did they say yes? Now, if we look at this with just normal eyes, all right, if you've grown up uh, in church and you've particularly sat through a lot of Sunday school lessons, okay, that's not a whole ton of us at this point, but those of you who did, it's easy to look at this sort of with Christianese and, and miss what's so bizarre about the passage. Maybe I could put it this way. Imagine today somebody saying to you, give up everything and follow me because I am the most important person who has ever existed. In fact, worship me. What would we say about somebody who called for that? We'd say they're a total maniac, right? Like, we'd say they belong locked up and on a lot of pills. We'd say they're nuts. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says. Is Jesus a dangerous psycho? In the same way that we would think somebody calling for that today is. Well, this gets at right at the heart of the issue. Namely, who is Jesus? Who is he? It's pretty common today to hear people say something like, sure, yeah, I like Jesus. But then for them to go about their life just like he doesn't exist. Friends, that's not the way following Jesus works. In fact, it can't work that way. Rightly understood, Jesus is either Lord or lunatic. He's either master or madman. He's either God or goon. If you really grasp who Jesus claims to be, then you'll either find yourself eventually submitting to His call to be His disciple, to follow Him, for Him to be the most important person in your life. Or you'll want to refuse Him Run the other way and take as many people as you can with you. Those are the only two options. There is no middle way if you really understood and understand what he claims for himself. Why did Jesus call people to follow him? Well, it, 
it's right there in verse 1. It's the way Mark starts his gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' middle name. It is, it is a title. It, is, it, it means Messiah. It means all the expectation in the Old Testament has been racing ahead, anticipating this one, that he's the one sent by the Father to gather together a people for himself, that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, and he's the Son of God. That is, he is God who's come to carry on the work of the Father. Today we would say often that He is Lord and Savior, and Mark's going to show us that throughout this year. To follow Jesus is to be rescued from the wrath of God and welcomed into the family of God. He's the one in whom the kingdom of God is at hand, and there is no other. To follow Jesus is to follow the one through whom life can be gained. To turn from him is to turn from the one through whom life can be gained. The mission of Jesus, you see, is to uh, redeem a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. We're one of the uh, church's few churches, comparatively, if you consider how many there are across the United States. We're one of the few who can simply look around the room and see that. God is rescuing people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Look around you. It's working. Why did Jesus call people to follow him? Well, because he is the Christ. He's the only Christ. He is the only way out of hostility between you and God into peace between you and God. He is the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one who would live a perfect life in order to die a substitutionary death, in order to rise again, in order to ascend to the Father where He rules and reigns today. He is the Christ. And so his invitation to follow him is an invitation to life. And Jesus started his ministry this way because he knew in three short years he would die and rise again and 40 days later ascend to heaven. And his mission would be moved ahead, not by his physical presence, but by his spiritual presence through the Holy Spirit in his followers who would scatter and share that gospel around the world. To know Jesus is to enjoy God, is to know God, is to share God. That's why Jesus started his ministry this way. Now, something that I think is, is easy to get confused about and to misunderstand how this call is often uh, shared today is if you just start in Mark 1.1 1, 1, and then you read 
down through the text and you get through the first 20 verses, doesn't it seem as though Mark tells us, well, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, in the very first moment they'd ever seen or heard of Jesus, they just drop everything and follow Him? Doesn't it, doesn't it seem that way? As though any crazy man who walked along the shore and said, follow me, they just were such losers, they had nothing else to do and they would have just followed Him? Doesn't it kind of read that way? Yes. But, friends, we know from other Gospels, from, namely from the Gospel of John, this is where it's the clearest, that there are some things that have happened along the way that Mark, for um, likely for reasons of space, he's got a short, direct, pithy, very action-oriented book. We know from some of the other gospel writers that these four were previously disciples of John, John the Baptist, and that John had already seen Jesus and in front of his disciples said, look, there's the Lamb of God. Follow Him, not me. And so these four already knew something of who Jesus was. They'd already had the expectation that He's the Christ. And it's with that context in our minds that we can understand more why they would immediately drop everything and follow Him. We've considered this morning what Jesus did and why Jesus did it. For our remaining time, let's consider this morning the weight or the significance of this passage. I've been alluding to it all morning, but here it is outright. These four were the first, Mark tells us, of people who heard the call to evangelism and discipleship and they responded. But they're not the last. The, the call goes out all through the book of Mark, as we'll see this year, and then it moves beyond that. People today are still following Jesus, billions of them, in fact. Not physically, of course. When Jesus says, follow me, He's not saying, uh, get on a plane, come to Galilee, find me, and let's walk around together. Jesus is not there. He is in heaven and we are on earth. But he's still inviting people today through the gospel word being shared to spiritually give themselves to him and to take on his way of life. Friends, this call to follow Jesus persists. It echoes throughout time. As we Christians share this gospel word and pick up his word and read it, like a tiny pebble that's tossed into a lake and it sends ripples throughout the entire lake, every time 
people say to another, follow Jesus, here's the gospel, then there's a tiny gospel word shared in another's life, and that sends ripples throughout the world. How people respond to that gospel word is not the responsibility of the sharers, but that they have the opportunity to hear, that is. In fact, that's what it means for people to fish for people. Let me ask you in our remaining time together this morning three questions of application that we might feel the the weight of this simple passage. Number one, are you following Jesus? Not your kids, not the person who you think is worse than you, but you. Are you following Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus came and that He lived the life that every human being is supposed to live, a life of submission to God the Father, obedient to His commands? And do you believe that He therefore was sufficient and able to offer Himself in your place? And do you believe that by a miracle He was resurrected and still lives? Well, friend, if you believe that basic gospel message, then you're ready to yield yourself to Him, to respond to the message with faith and repentance. If you believe it, then what are you waiting for? There is offered to you a life that's better than you could ever imagine and an eternity with Him that never ends. You don't have to clean yourself up or change your behavior in order to do that first. You simply respond because it's a message of grace, not a message of works. And He will save. And you will then be caught up in this stream of people who throughout time have been following Jesus together. Are you following Jesus? I want to encourage you this morning to understand that following Jesus is not only all-consuming, and it's not only life-giving, but it's urgent. It's urgent. It's urgent because none of us have any idea how long we have to respond. And so if you believe and you've never responded, may today be the day. Second question, if you're following Jesus, yes, there are. (laughs) What in the world, dude? What are you doing over there? You're supposed to be listening. (laughs) Follow Jesus. (laughs) Now, the second question. If you're following Jesus, are you inviting others to follow Jesus? Friend, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that it means you're inviting other people to follow Jesus. 
It means you, you recognize that the grace and mercy of God given to you in Christ isn't just for you. No, what you've been given is to be shared with others. Others who just like you are in desperate need of God. People fishing, what we normally call evangelism, is the joy of every Christian. Inviting people into a relationship with Jesus and then helping them grow up in Jesus. These are not the responsibilities of missionaries and pastors alone. These are the responsibilities of every single follower of Jesus Christ. When Mark chapter 1 records the command, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, he's not recording the call to apostleship. He's recording the call to general basic Christianity. To be a follower includes becoming a fisher of men. Now, if you're a Christian, you already know that. And so, my encouragement to you today would be to ask God to help you sort of take off the blinders to see that there are thousands of ways to invite other people to become followers of Jesus. It's easy to feel like, well, if I can't stand and preach, then what in the world am I supposed to do? Well, very, 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 very few people, very few Christians will stand and preach like this. But the opportunity to invite people to follow Jesus can happen in so many different ways. Think with me together for a moment about the last seven days of your life. Christian. Think about the people you've met. Think about the coworkers that you spent time with, the neighbors you had brief conversations with, the checkout folks in the grocery store, the classmates you sat next to, the family members you had phone calls with, how many of those people are people you don't know where they are in terms of they're following Jesus or not following Jesus? Friends, you need not, and it's great if you do, but you need not go to some other corner of the world. There are many, many, many people here that we don't know where they are in terms of following Jesus or not following Jesus. We are surrounded by people who haven't even heard the truth about Christ. And you don't have to, in a first conversation with somebody you're going to see often or repeatedly, give them a 30-minute exposition of the gospel. In fact, I would say you probably shouldn't. But can you think in the next seven days about opportunities that God might present to, to sprinkle a little bit of the gospel into your conversation with them. Maybe tomorrow, as somebody says to you, hey, 
How was your weekend? That seems like the only thing people are able to verbalize on Mondays. So, why don't you try tomorrow when you hear that? To say, my weekend was great. One of my favorite parts was spending the morning on Sunday with my church. And then just move on to the rest of the conversation. Look for opportunities to sprinkle a little salt that might season conversation. And over time, you will discover that some people are willing to hear more. And you'll gain opportunity to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, you are a fisherman if you are a Christian. And God is helping you to become a fisher of men. So look for those opportunities. He's going to present them to you. And as we think about that general, everyday opportunity that God might present in the coming week, also think about your church. Think about, in particular, think about two groups of people that we often have opportunity to minister to and to share the gospel with as a church family. First, think about the kids who are somewhere in the orbit of this church family. Think about the children of uh, members and guests. Guess what? They, do, they didn't come out of the womb as followers of Jesus. If you don't believe me, spend a few minutes with a two-year-old. <laughs> Some of the best and most important and strategic opportunities we have to fish for people is to assist the parents of this church by building relationships with kids and sharing Christ with them. We should never, ever, ever, ever have any trouble at all staffing Sunday morning with the volunteer needs. These are the simplest ways to be fishers of people. And beyond that, build friendships with these little squirts and watch what happens as you take interest in them. Another group of people that we can really be encouraged by and minister to and fish for is among the many college students and internationals that are within our reach. There are so many, so many. People come to ASU often never having heard of Christ. And if having heard of Christ, only in cuss words. Never having actually heard the gospel. And by God's grace, we have opportunity, so many opportunities to get to know students and to share Christ with them. Beyond this, of course, there are other relationships, other partnerships, other friendships. But Christian, if God has rescued you out of your sin, then He has rescued you into into the opportunity to share that there is a God who saves. 
I pray we'll embrace more of those opportunities this coming week than we did last week. Brothers and sisters, as a result of what we've heard today, may we follow Jesus with fresh vigor. If you've known Christ a while, would you think back to the joy that you knew when you first heard His call? Would you ask God to push refresh on that joy? If you've never come to know Christ, would you ask somebody today after we finish, if you don't yet know the story fully, would you ask them to tell you more? Would you trust Him if you do know the story? And may we all this week fish for people. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Before I voice a prayer on our behalf, would you take a moment and ask God what He would have you do in response to what you've heard? Father, the greatest summons that has ever been given is the summons to follow you. We thank you that we've been blessed with the opportunity today to hear that summons ourselves. We thank you that so many people in the room this morning have already responded to that gospel call. I pray for, for them, the, the believers in the room, the disciples, the followers, that God, you'd help us this week in renewed ways to enjoy the fact that we know Christ and to minister to each other as fellow Christians that we might grow up more fully into Christ-likeness and especially that this week we would recognize the identity that we have as fishers and that each and every moment that you give us this week to say something about you to someone we, we're not sure where they are in spiritual things, that, God, we would not be ashamed, but that we would act in courage, relying on your Spirit to make Christ known. And, Lord, for those here this morning who have yet to respond to Christ, would you make him known? that they might see and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity to share uh, with you.